Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 68 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known to all of us by now as simply DCU. Seriously, is it possible that anybody doesn't know what DCU is by now? DCU can help you save on your next auto loan with rates as low as 1.49% APR. So whether you're driving off the lot or you want to refinance, DCU can help. Yes, you heard me right. Rates as low as 1.49% APR. Buying a car might be tough right now because they're hard to find. But the financing part of it, that's going to be easy because you just got to go to DCU. You can learn more at dcu.org auto. Insured by the NCUA, membership required. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Jag and Detroit Podcasts. John Jag Gay was born and raised in Malden, and now he's been transplanted to Detroit. And after spending 15 years in radio, he's been working in professional podcasting for years. And that means if you want to put together a podcast, Jag can make your show sound professional, like a radio show. Nobody can tell your story or your business's story better than you can. And JAG can help. So if you've always wanted to have a podcast or your business wants to have a podcast for marketing purposes, then you need JAG in Detroit. They helped me and they can help you too. Log on to JAGinDetroit.com. Okay, this episode of the podcast features Josh Katz from Bad Flower. I met Josh a few years ago when Bad Flower was on tour with Shinedown. They came into the studio and played acoustic on my radio show, and I really enjoyed hanging out with him. He's quirky and funny and personable, and he definitely comes across as somebody that is doing exactly what he was born to do. He's a creative artist. I think they call those people eccentric. Well, Bad Flower is getting ready to release their new album, This Is How the World Ends, coming up on September 24th. So Josh and I sat down over coffee and we talked about everything, the music business and protecting his voice, his songwriting process and what it's like to be on the road. We talked about his creative outlets that don't involve music and what it's like living outside of Nashville. Of course, I had to talk to him about his dog and the recording process of the new album and how COVID and the ensuing online rage inspired the record. And like a lot of musicians, Josh is an insomniac, and we talked about that too. You can hear the new music we discussed in the podcast in the corresponding playlist that's linked in the show notes of this episode and every full-length episode of the podcast that I do. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and allow me to introduce you to Josh Katz from Bad Flower.
Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hello, Josh. Hi. What are you eating? Oatmeal. Do you put anything in it? No, it's it's, it's just plain. Well, it's a, it's a packet one that's like a pre-flavored one. That's so it's like right. cinnamon sugar. I'm always... Yeah. I, I'm always curious what it is that the bands find for like comfort food because you guys travel so much that it's like the little creature comforts of being able to eat what you want to eat when you can. Mm, I don't know. I don't know what they are. I don't think I have any like specific uh, Thai food. Thai food's a comfort food. Mm. I'm, I'm eating oatmeal. I usually don't eat in the morning at all, actually. I'm not a breakfast person, but I've had a cough. Um, and it's not COVID because I'm taking multiple tests, but I've had a cough and, and I walked into the kitchen and like oatmeal just sounded good um, this morning. So It, it warms the soul. Oh, I'm having coffee too. Cheers. It's Cheers. not It's not very often that uh, I get to talk to people in the morning. And really? Why is that? Because most people want to do them later in the afternoon, I think once they're like up and functioning or whatever. And so... You know, I, I yeah. don't know about you. You're a singer. Obviously, I'm not. But um, is your voice, like, super tired in the morning? Does it take a while to kind of get it to warm up? Yeah, like, a thousand percent it does. And uh, for some reason, radio stations are always having us sing as early as they possibly can. Well, there is. And, we and, and, and I'm guilty of that, too, because we've asked artists to do that. And it's because the the morning shows have so many people listening. So, you know, it's a catch-22. It's like, we want you to sing early in the morning when you're not as comfortable and have the most people listening at the same time. No pressure. Couldn't you do it? Couldn't we do it, though? Like, oh, I guess I guess the whole point of it usually is, like, to promote the show that the artist is there for, so you couldn't pre-record it. It has to be done right then. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. And I there's something it. about live radio that... You know, of having your ass hanging out. Like you came in on my show and you guys played acoustic and it's like it's always the little funny things that happen in the moment that you kind of lose when you're not live. There is an element of danger when it comes to live radio that you kind of miss if you just pre record everything. Yeah. It's true. But then there's that whole thing of you're really gonna fucking make me get up this early in the morning and try to sound good. <laughs> Yeah, that's well, how I feel about it. But it's never it's never you guys who get like who get the fury from the artist. It's there's somebody else on the team. There's there's a manager, a tour manager. Somebody like, how, why would you why would you do that? Why would you put me through that? 
but then we show up to the radio station we're like hi hi nice to be oh nice to see you again how's yeah. it going oh yeah everything's perfect why yeah. would you schedule us this early that's how you know that you've made it to a certain level in your career when you have people to be assholes for you yeah no it's true it's true but you need it though you need it because if you're the asshole to to especially people like in radio or something like somebody who's trying to help your career or who's there in place to help your career you cannot be an asshole to them because then they don't like you and they don't want to play your band or whatever it is even if they're being an asshole and they deserve to be an asshole too i'm not saying this is you you we never experienced this. No. Uh, but it's so important to have somebody to be your asshole. Yeah. And and you know what? I And I learned this from these requests, having the artists come in and play and stuff. You know, I just a few weeks ago talked to Miles Kennedy, who has an amazing rock voice. And I had asked to interview him a ton of times and I never could and I never understood why and then he and I sat down like you and I are and he told me that his voice is so temperamental that the excessive talking throughout the day really hurts his ability to hit the high notes during his performances on the shows so it's not that he doesn't want to talk to people it's that he has to be so careful about his voice and that's not being an asshole at all. It's like, this is what you do for a living. You got to protect your voice if you're a singer. And if talking too much all day is going to hurt that, well, then you got to say no, but it doesn't make you a jerk. Yeah. But it's but, what- it, but you, still, you still feel like a jerk if you're the one to say it. Like, especially something like that, that most people don't get like, oh, I can't, t- if I talk to you, it just sounds like very serious. It is true. And it's a real thing. And the, yeah, it, and it does need to be taken seriously. But it's like, I, I would imagine most singers have trouble admitting that to anyone that's not in this business in some way, just because it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound like a, like, a, I don't know. Well, like, I remember when Celine Dion took over and did that big Vegas residency, right? And our, she's got one of the most amazing voices of, of all time, right? And she yeah. would talk about on her days off, she would have vocal rest. And I remember being on the air and making fun of her about that and be like, oh, you right? can't even talk? And yeah. and now, because of, I, I do multiple radio shows a day. I record interviews and stuff from my podcast. I host a video show. Never mind just the daily wear and tear of the communicating you have to do on the phone and whatever. This is what Miles and I were talking about. I now ap- apologize to Celine Dion for making fun of her because even though I'm not a singer, at the end of the day, my voice is really tired. And when your voice is your job, even though mine sounds like I've been gargling razor blades since puberty, um, you have That's to That's your take- brand, though. Yeah, it is what it That's is. Protect razor blades. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about what you've been up to because I had the pleasure of meeting you when you guys were on tour with Shinedown a couple years ago and you came in and played on my radio show and things were really taking off for you guys. And yeah. you were getting played everywhere and getting on these amazing tours and then all of a sudden, like everyone else... Um, COVID hit and it's like a wall for a band that was in the middle of this amazing momentum. So how was that adjustment for you? Uh, it was easy at first. I mean, it's, it sucked. Like we were, we were about to go on tour, not about to, we were scheduled to go on tour with Incubus and 311. And those are two bands that I have just loved for a long time. 
And so I was excited, like regardless of, of, of the career, I was just really excited that I reached a point where I got to do something like this. Like, um, so that was sad. It was very really sad to have to cancel that. And, and we, we knew it wasn't like a rescheduled thing. We we're like, it, when this is done, it's, it's not even, not even because of Incubus or 311, like we probably won't have the opportunity to do this tour again. Cause we've got a lot of other stuff. Like we, we have other things that need to be done. And it, I don't know. So we, we knew that we knew that was off. So that was sad. But um, I was already in isolation before isolation was mandatory. I was, I was like isolating and writing songs um, for like a, a month or so before it happened. So it, like, it, yeah, nothing really changed for me. It actually, it, it got easier. I was like, cool. Now I like, I literally don't even have to see anybody. This is great. Um, and then it got hard. Then it was hard. Then it was hard not being able to play shows and not being able to make any money and kind of struggling with it and just like pre- persevering and, and um, pretending like everything was okay just just for the sake of the art, I guess. But then at the same time, the art got better when life got harder. So, so talk to me about your songwriting process. Are you one of those people that needs to lock yourself away and isolate by yourself? Can you write on the road or do you have to dedicate time specifically to be able to write undistracted? I, I, I don't write at all on the road. Like not, not, not one bit. You know, even when I get ideas, like I might jot stuff down in my notes. Um, like if an idea pops up unsolicited into my brain. Um, but no, I, I, I mean, I isolate so much. I moved out of LA and I, I, I live on a farm now. Like I had to get all the way. I live on a farm in Tennessee. That's where I am now. I'm in a barn, isolated in a barn on a farm. I was going to say, you know, one thing in this industry is that everyone now has this home workspace. So welcome to mine. This is MCHQ. I built my own studio and yours is very cool. I think I have those same purple LED lights in my studio that you have in yours. I bet they're not the same, but they're similar. Mine are very custom made. I I custom made a bunch of stuff for stage pieces for, for, uh, for our live shows. And that was just like scraps that I, I sort of cut up. But I bet they're similar, but these are one of a kind. <laughs> and, the, and the panels themselves, like every, I mean, I built, that's that's like, I just like being creative, anything creative. So I really like woodworking and carpentry, like building and designing things. So yeah, this was a, this was a room that didn't exist. It was like boarded up and full of, I, I don't know, just termites and it was just awful. And so we, I, I tore it all down. And, and rebuilt it. It's, How- it's still working. And I, and I live in here. I sleep on the couch back there because there's no, like, I don't really have a house. So this is it for me was, was this barn. How far outside of Nashville are you? Like an hour. Because I just spent some time in Nashville for the first time at a podcast convention. And I always, not being from there, just thought Nashville was just cowboy hats and cowboy boots and whatever. And I was shocked at the amount of rock music that's getting made in Nashville now. I couldn't believe the number of bands that are writing there, recording there, moving there. And you're another example of that. Yeah. I mean, not, not even just rock, rock, rock music, pop music, like pop music is exploding in Nashville. I mean, this is this is where all the songwriters are. And I really like, I like the culture of songwriters here in Nashville. I mean, I'm not in Nashville, but when you drive down the street, like you'll see, you'll see banners outside of whether they're record labels or publish, it's mostly publishing companies. And there's, there's banners outside that are like, congratulations, Dave, whatever, like some random name you've never heard of because you were a co-writer on this big massive song. And like, they sort of like 
raise up the songwriter, even if it's not the artist. I think that's really cool. I just I watched a documentary about that. It's called It All Starts With The Song, and it's about the songwriting community in Nashville. And yeah. I was fascinated by it because I'm fascinated by songwriters because it's not something I have the ability to do. Yeah, I'm fascinated by songwriters in that capacity. Like those people who, who I mean, they, they write with somebody different every day. They just have their publisher, their publishing company are like, all right, we got this person in this place. Like you're going to go to this random studio. You're going to meet this random person and you're going to just be vulnerable with them and hopefully come out with the song. And then they just add more people. I tried that a couple of times. I cannot do that. I am so insecure in a room full of people. I can't be, I just can't like my worst shit comes out. I can't be vulnerable in that situation. So you so just I, have to lock down with just you or you and the guys in the band. I lock uh, to, to write like lyric to write lyrics and really to, to, I mean to write most of the songs I guess like musically and lyrically to like get it together I'm alone yeah and and I and I've told my band this too like hey I I it's not that I'm trying to exclude anybody I just won't I won't be my best self unless I can just be completely alone like there's certain re- lyrics that I've written and I look back and listen to I'm like there's no way I ever would have brought that to the table had there been I'm so sorry I'm being is my dog scratching? Give me one second. No, don't worry about it. Let the dog in. My dog is scratching. Um. Oh, look at the dog. What's the dog's name? Maggie, come here. Come, come, come. Uh, come on, jump up. I will pick you up. Aww. This is Maggie. Hello. She's now, my life. Anyway, not um, to change I'm so sorry. the subject, but dogs, like, being locked down with my dog, it's got to be the same for you. Like, it made it so much better, right? Having the dog around? Of course. Um, yeah, I mean, lots of animals. I'm on a farm. So. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let's go back to that, to what you were talking about. Like, the, the vulnerability of being able to write stuff without yeah. the fear of having other people hear it you do that and then you write songs and record them and then you got to go up in front of a room full of strangers every night and sing those same lyrics. So how, how can you have that insecurity and then be able to perform those songs that are so personal? It's, you know what, it's, it's not like singing it in front of people is a, is an easier experience because for the most part, these people, they know it, they've already heard it. So like that's already happened. It's the initial, it's like my band are like my three other band members are the people I respect the most musically. And and when it comes to songs and creativity. And so I'm the most insecure. I mean, I will co-write with them and, and, and we'll like talk about ideas. Obviously if there's something they think is weird or like can contribute, but I'm the most insecure about them. Cause if they don't like something, I'm done with the idea. And that sucks because I could get, I could be really excited about something and be like, Oh, what if I did what said this or saying this, or what if it's like this? And if somebody in the room was like, eh, I'm not really, fe-, even from a, even like positive, like, Oh, that's kind of cool. But what about if it was more like this? Like if somebody tries to shift it from what I envisioned to be the greatest thing ever, I'm like, Oh, I hate the, I, I hate it. I hate it completely now. I don't even, I don't, I never want to hear it again. Like I just get, yeah, I'm not good at collaborating in that way. I'm, I just, I change, I shift too quickly. So I have to be like certain uh, about my idea and know that everyone could shoot it down and I still believe in it and love it. And that takes a lot of time. And I have to, I have to like curate these things for a while and, sh- and, and make sure that like, the other thing is I have to make sure it's like a product that I could really sell to somebody. So I, I, I used to demo a lot. So I would just demo in, in, in whatever space I was in. 
And then I, things changed when I like started investing in some pieces of gear that I knew were going to be like the gear. So when I demo my vocal, demo the vocal on this song that nobody's heard, it, it is usually the final vocal take if I want it to be. So like the first time I sing something, if I sing it here and I'm super emotional and then I'll demo the rest, I'll throw a guitar track down and like put some fake drums on it and show the band. But then when they're ready to get in and do their parts, like I have the vocal. Because that was the vocal that was used to, to sell the idea of the song. Like, so you, you know, won't re-record the vocal track to the music I, after I, it gets recorded? No, I will. I will if it needs to be done. But with usually with songs that are like very emotional, I will never like, I'll never recreate that first take. I'll never feel that level of intensity as I did the very first time. And so if I'm going to sing it down at all, and it's going to go from my head to a microphone, to a computer, to whatever... I want, I just want to know that it can be the final take. And so on this record, a lot of, a lot of times it was like a lot of the, the demo vocal was the final take. Give because, me some examples of the songs on the record that you can talk about that, that are the original demo vocal takes. I mean, most of them, um, family was all the original demo vocal take. I might, I I probably added some like harmonies and doubles and things like that, like at the end, but like the main vocal that you hear was the original take. Um, I honestly probably most of them I have to look up a list of the songs but probably mo most of them if if all the lyrics were written before the band got in some of them weren't completely written some of them were just like a chorus and whatever um, am I really going to pull up a list no don't worry about it so really? talk to me about how different this record is because of COVID versus if COVID hadn't happened what your next record would have sounded like because you said earlier that it changed the art. So how did it change it? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't just COVID, but it was the, it was the entire, like, it was the feeling that everybody shared and the way everyone got so on edge and, and was like, and still needed, like we needed so desperately to communicate with each other. We could, we didn't have any face to face interaction. So we were all communicating on the internet. Um, and I've never seen strangers get so angry at strangers in such a massive way as I have in this time period. And that was the thing that I was so fixated on and focused on and like trying to understand. Um, and then from a pers the perspective of an artist, like this is what needed to be written about. Like this was the feeling it was not, not specifically what the arguments were or my opinions on things that kind of was irrelevant. Um, and that was another thing 2020, 2020 and 2021 taught me is like, everyone's got an opinion and nobody's right. Nobody knows. Nobody knows anything. Nobody knows anything. And so talk about behavior and our humanity, because that's something that I feel, um, I feel I, I have a lot to, to talk about. And, and I have like valid opinions on that. Valid opinions on the way that we behave as humans, because I am one and I can have an opinion on it. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was like, that that became a big part of this album. A lot of the songs that haven't come out yet as singles are like tied into this theme, and some of them are hard, like some of them are, are difficult. I don't know. People are going to judge as they do, but whatever. When you guys sent me a copy of the record so I could hear it before you and I talked, and as I'm tracking through it, I was getting these flavors right it's not derivative because the combination of them is very different but I was getting these little 
Like I was like, ooh, that that thing that just went through there was like a little nine inch nailsy or ooh, that that felt a little like like M&M or like like there were all of these little flavors that like nothing was like, oh, that's a ripoff. That's not what I'm saying at all. But there were these little ribbons. And I as I was listening to it, the album is really diverse. The songs are so different, but they're so cohesive at the same time. Yeah, thank you. Huh? I said thank you. This feels like a like a piece of art as a whole. So yeah. you're telling a story even with the song order and everything. Talk to me about putting the final product together. Yeah, we, we, we thought a lot about this order. And we also we also had a lot of songs that, that we thought were going to make this album and we cut them because we realized there was there was like a heart to this. There was, there was, there was like, it was like it was connected by veins and they were all very different organs serving different purposes, but it was connected by the, by veins. Um, and there, there's a, there's a lot of like sort of micro stories. And for me, it, it's, it feels like um, it's almost like alternate realities of myself when I see, Again, I've spent all this time like observing how people interact with each other on the internet, and and sometimes like some of these songs are like sung from the perspective of these characters that that society despises, right? Like a song like uh, Johnny or a song like Stalker, um, and it sort of feels like these are the, these are per- like characters that anybody could have become. Like I didn't choose to be born in the family that I was born in and in the area that I was born in and look the way that I am or in America or, or any of that. And had these, like you could change and manipulate these things. Like if we go, go back in time and like manipulate one little aspect of me, how different would my trajectory be? Like put, instead of in LA, I'm in anywhere, any, like any, anywhere on the planet, instead of from this family, it's this family. Instead of five foot seven, I'm six foot four, like change these things. And how, how different is my life? Like how different do my, cause I'm still a human with insecurities and, and, all, and all sorts of things. And I realized like I could have become anybody. And some of these people that, that I see on the internet or in real life that I'm like, oh, that's despicable. Like we despise, I could have been that person. Like wh- wh- where, where did this, like, why, why, why do I deserve to be morally superior over anybody when like, I, I don't know. I, it's too early for this. Like, this is like, it's getting- <laughs> Take a um, sip of your coffee. It's getting crazy. I need this coffee. Desperately. But so these are the these are the thoughts that I can't quite figure out, but I want to write about and I want to try to understand. And so some of these are like it's it's like uh, it's like one it's like one step to the next step. Like I, I was in this place or I was this person and then something shifted in my life and I became this one. And that's what this song is about. And then something else shifted or had something else changed. And I, I really like that the album starts with adolescent love which is one of my favorite songs on this album, one of my very favorite songs I've written, just because it feels like such a blank slate. Like it's such a neutral, um, it's a neutral position. It's like my, it's a very personal account of like the first time I, I felt attraction to somebody else. Like I felt these feelings as a, as a kid and they were so powerful and I was so innocent and I had no reference points for anything in life. Um, and that, and then everything changes. Then like you meet people and, and other people affect your life and your insecurities affect your life. Get and your heart broken. Global pandemics affect your life and all of these different things happen. And we just go into these little paths and we become these adults. 
And I, it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating and terrifying. And that's why I don't have kids because it's too much. It's just, I don't know. Can't do it. When you become a musician and a songwriter, you don't come from a place with nothing to base it on. You come from a place of inspiration, having been exposed to the music that you grew up listening to. And it's always my theory that there's two, there's two eras of music in your life. There's the music you got handed by your older brother's uncle's parents. And then there's a line in the sand. And then there's the music that you claimed as your own. Tell me what those eras are for you. What were you growing up exposed to? And then what's the first band that you remember going, that's mine? Ah, that's a good question. That's a good good observation. I like that. Um, I grew up with mostly, uh, it was like 80s. I mean, yeah, 80s pop music was huge in my house. Like, and my dad, my dad is a massive, like, record collector. He's a single collector. So he's, like, our attic was full of singles. He didn't, he didn't like records. He was a singles guy. Like, my dad was big on, actually, could have been a radio DJ. Probably should have been. That would have been a great, great job for him. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot, there was a lot of, uh, like, like, disco. That kind of stuff played around the house. But then, but just pop music in general. Not a lot of rock unless it was more on the poppy side, like no heavy rock. Uh, that I discovered on my own. So like the rock bands of the 90s who, who, who be, like that was when I discovered the power of like the power of lyrics in rock music and, and the power of like being a voice for an alternative way of thinking like Nirvana or, or um Nine Inch Nails is kind of a good example of that, but just these different like subsets of cultures that really affected people and gave people a home. Um, and then I saw how the early 2000s did that with with like the, uh, you know, post, I guess it's like post grunge, the emo era, but not so much the emo, like, I don't know. There, there's there's this whole era of music that, that, and that's when I was like in the prime position to like be a, a, an older teenager, I guess, and really absorb this stuff. And, uh, but then I discovered everything. Then I just went down, like, I really, really liked, uh, I liked 70s rock a lot. And I really liked rap. I liked uh, all different kinds of rap. But it's funny you mentioned Eminem as a reference because I, I, I loved Eminem. Eminem's first record was the first album, like the first CD I ever bought with my own money. And I wasn't allowed to because it was explicit. So I like, I had to, go through some back door back channels to, to get it. <clears throat> and that definitely stuck with me. Um, one of the things that I love talking to people like you about songwriters, and it's a question that I'm going to ask every songwriter I ever meet for the rest of the time that I do this. I want you to give me an example of what you think brilliant songwriting is a song that you hear from any era, any artist, that you go, God, that's so good from a songwriting perspective. I wish I wrote that. But uh, then I want you to tell me why. Oh, I say that a lot. I usually say that about, uh, I usually say that about like folk songs or newer folk songs. Like um, this band called Dawes, one of my favorite bands of all time. They're, I, I, get, I think you, I would consider them like newer folk. 
Oh, or like Death Cab for Cutie or uh, Bright Eyes, like Conor Oberst. Those are my favorite lyricists, my favorite songwriters. And it's, and I like a lyric. I, I mean, my, it, it, it all comes down to the lyrics. Music is so subjective. I guess lyrics are subjective too, but music is very subjective. And like a good melody is a good melody and, and it's great. But if it's not tied to the right phrase or it doesn't have the right setup to it or it doesn't have the right delivery of some kind of a sentence, it's like the, the melody is just not as effective. So I personally, I like a song that has a flow to it that feels like it has a beginning, middle and end. And that can be a linear story where it starts off, our character is this and then this happens and now he's like this. Like it could be an actual linear, linear story or it could just be a flow uh, of intensity. Um, like it starts out sort of, if it's a song about heartbreak, for example, it's a, it feels a little bit like this, but then by the next chorus, you feel it ramping up and it's now it's really, now it's really intense. And then by the last one, it's, I love that sort of thing. I try to do that as much as possible in songwriting too, because it just, it, it gets me, it works. And I just like a clever lyric. I like a clever lyric. It might, there might be a pun in it, you know, like it's, it's in some way really clever or meta, but it has a gut punch characteristic to it. All right, you got to give just, me an example of what you're talking about, though, so um, we understand. Okay. Let me think. Uh, all right, Dawes, because I brought up Dawes. There's a, it's a very folky song, but it's perfect in its structure. It's called um, "When It Hits Me That She's Gone," and I can. And some of the lyrics are like, "When it hits me that she's gone, uh, I think I'll be a president. Get my face put on the million dollar bill." Um, so when these rich men that, that she wants show her ways they can take care of her, I'll have found a way to be there with her still. Like, and, and, and then the next verse is the same sort of thing. I, I, I think I'll be an astronaut. So when, when she finds the light that makes her prettiest, she'll, she'll be facing me every time she shines. It's like stuff like that, where I'm just like, oh, <laughs> it, it's just brutally perfect. Like it's X and there's three verses of that song and each verse is like, just one of these perfectly executed little things, little moments that make you feel what it is. And it's like the perfect usage of, of metaphor and like all, all, all the, all the um, literary terms that you're meant to use in, in literature, I guess. Because I try not to overuse uh, metaphors and similes and things like that because I'm just not that, I'm not a poet, I don't think. I, I, I don't do poetry. I do like realistic kind of things. That's the other thing is when you can mix the poetry. So something that just, it doesn't, it's not necessarily saying the thing direct, but it's like getting poetic about how you say something and you mix that. And then you end that with a kicker line. That's just a straightforward sentence. Like, you know, that, that when you're angry, what do you, what do you say? If you're angry at somebody, you don't like get, you don't, you don't bust out some metaphors. Or you like, you tell them straight up that you're angry or what you're angry about. And so if you do some sort of poetic thing that gets you into that kicker moment, I don't know, this, these are just like smart ways uh, to really make somebody feel something from songs. I'm obsessed with songwriting, by the way. Like I'm obsessed with songs. Um, so I could talk about this for hours. Well, I'm obsessed I with it too, but I can't do it. And I'm fascinated right. because songwriters have such different processes and it fascinates me how your brain, like before I let you go, give me an example off of this record of yeah. an idea that hit you in a totally random way 
woke you up in the middle of the night, you stubbed your toe or whatever, <laughs> that turned out to be something in a in a song on this record that will that we'll know when we hear it. Because songwriters well, I, I, get I, these like lightning bolt ideas. Like you wake up in the middle of the night and like you just get them. That fascinates me. Oh, bold of you to assume that I even sleep. Because <laughs> um, I don't, especially when songwriting, I don't sleep at all. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a really hard thing to say because all of them sort of have that moment for me. Like a, a, as soon as something something came out, like, it, it, it always feels like this big, powerful moment. Or, and if it doesn't, it's not worth putting on the album. I mean, here, here's here's an interesting story. I usually like I usually fill up notebooks for one song, like, and I'll rewrite the same thing over and over again. And I'll have like thirty pages of the same thing with like one word change, the same thing with like three words change, because um, I because it has to be flawless, perfect. The song "Only Love," which is another one of my favorites on this album. I, I don't even think I wrote down at all. And I didn't write, I didn't write the whole song. Um, I had like bits and pieces of it. And when I went to sing it down, just to get the idea so I could listen back and like write the rest of it, I just kept singing. And, and I, I kept making stuff up on the spot. And some of the stuff that I made up on the spot are the actual lyrics, like the, that take. And so when I listen back to that, there's moments where I can hear myself stumbling over certain words, um, especially towards the end. And I'm like, it makes me proud because it's like, there was so much emotion. Just, I didn't have to say a word on that song. I could have just like made the noises. I could have just sung gibberish, sung nothing at all over that melody. And I knew exactly what the song was about. And so it didn't even matter that I was stumbling over the words and that it wasn't perfect because it was the most emotional version of, of telling that story, which is rare for me because I usually care about every single word. Um, there's also a moment in Johnny Wants to Fight, which we just put out in the second chorus where I'm literally just rambling gibberish. I'm not saying a single lyric. There's nothing in a chorus. And there's a lyric video up and it just stopped. It just stopped for that moment. It just <laughs> it's just because like, I, w the beginning of a song, it, that's usually how it starts. It's just that you're just going, as a man again, I'm a sing. And like, there's some words that pop out and then maybe one word pops out. You're like, ooh, that word. And you write that down and then you formulate some sentence around that and you're like, okay, I know what this is about now. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's write the song. So usually it just like pops up out of nowhere. And with Johnny, like there was this moment in the song in the second chorus where I was just like, oh, it sounds cool to just go, yes, man, the hell? just to say nothing. And I did. And I left it. Do you want to apologize to the fans now that are going to try and sing along with you when you play that song live? Do you want to say you're sorry now? They already do that. They already just like sing gibberish. They don't Nobody knows the words. <laughs> Before I let you go, because I know you got to run. Um, yeah. Speaking of the fans, can you yeah. talk to me about coming out of everything of the last 18 months and what it what it means to you to have the fans support and to be able to get back out on the road and play in front of them again? Oh, it means the world. I didn't I didn't, we never expected to have this. Um, I don't know how it would feel if, if it went away. That's kind of scary. I don't know. I don't I think I'd be really uh, not in a good place to have had it. And then for this time to go by and then feel like I've lost it. And some, of course, like things dipped a little bit. We were on a roll 
And so it sort of feels like we're starting from a slightly lower place, like everybody is in every aspect of life. But we are we appreciate the fans a lot. Very appreciative. And, and we've been making new ones, too, with all these new singles coming out and people discovering us for the first time. And it feels good. Um, it feels good that we still got it. <laughs> At least for a little bit longer. Well, I appreciate your time and you hanging out with me today and having coffee with me. And congratulations on the record. This is how the world ends. Comes out on the 24th, which is a huge, exciting moment. And you guys have already got tour dates scheduled through Europe through spring of next year. You're ready to go. Fingers crossed. We're scheduled to like 2029. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed for real. Yeah, stay healthy, yeah. please. It was great to see you again. And, yeah, you too. And I can't wait for the tour to roll through so that I can come and see you in person and see you do these songs live. I want to see you sing the gibberish live. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. I haven't. We haven't played that live yet. <laughs> All right. Have a fantastic rest of your day, Josh. It was great Thank to see you. you. All right, bye. Bye. There he is, Josh Katz from Bad Flower. The new album, This Is How the World Ends, comes out on Friday, September 24th. You can find all the links to find Josh online, to find Bad Flower online, and even to find me online, linked in the show notes of this podcast. You're also going to find the link to the corresponding playlist where you're going to find all of the music and all of the bands that we talked about in this episode. Thanks once again to our sponsors, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org and Jag and Detroit Podcasts at jagandetroit.com. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, and every weekday you get the Situation Report. The sit rep runs down all of your rock news, music headlines, and all the industry info you need in less than five minutes. And you can shop online in the Mistress Carrie online store at mistresscarrie.com. And join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Splash, splash, splash. Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a three-in-one formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. And its advanced beating technology keeps you seeing safely all year long. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash. Pick some up at Walmart today. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.